Hi, I'm Johnny Smith, host of the Inquisitive Minds podcast. Join me while we interview all manner of interesting people from all walks of life. Some conspiracy, some cryptozoology, and just some things that are that are just plain interesting. Every week I'll have someone with me who is an expert in their specific field. This is the Inquisitive Minds Podcast. Hey, thanks for tuning in and welcome again to the Inquisitive Minds Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Johnny Smith. Uh, and we're just going to jump right into it. With me today, my guest originally hails from Wyoming. Uh, she currently works as a medical assistant at the VA and is currently finishing her degree in emergency management and homeland security. She is a 10-year Navy veteran serving on three ships, the USS LaSalle, the USS Hewitt, and the USS Emory. 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 Mm, excuse me. <laughs> S-Land a539 as39 as39 yeah. see my my own writing uh, baffles <laughs> me and worked as a damage controlman um, Nicole Stevenson welcome to the podcast thank you uh, go by Nicole Purvis Nicole Purvis Stevenson is my ex ex's name and my apologies that's uh, quite all right Nicole Purvis <laughs> um, what do you want to tell us about yourself Nicole right. welcome so um, like I said yeah I was in the Navy for 10 years I joined the Navy out of Wyoming, obviously, to get the, can I swear? You could say as you wish. <laughs> get the fuck out of Wyoming and, you know, see the Navy, see the, see the ocean, because I'd never seen it, and there's a, a lot of it. Um, I was in the Navy when the USS Cole was attacked. Well, well before, we, before we get into that, um, what brought you to Pittsburgh? So my family is actually from Evans City and Mars. Okay. So um, I was actually born there. And, well, the Butler Hospital. My dad worked in the oil field, so we moved to Wyoming okay. when I was two. And then when I was in boot camp, my parents divorced, and my mom and siblings moved back to the like Evans City Mars area. Okay. So like both sides of my family like got off the boat from Germany and Scotland and settled in the same area. Like my okay. mom's you grandmother. You were just in Wyoming, just happenstance. Yeah, it, it, like I was the only one born in Pennsylvania, but I'm the only one that grew up in Wyoming. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, my friends, my family makes fun of me because I still have to use GPS to to go to my grandmother's house. And one of the first open mic nights I did was um, at Denise and Earl's in Homewood. And I didn't know okay. the area <laughs> before I went there. And I was for, like, oh, for the listeners uh, unaware, Nicole is a uh, comic as well. Yes, I try. How was that that first open mic experience for you? Um, and how long ago was that? So that was, oh, God. Mm, I think so. Maybe September of last year. Okay. So that was my first open mic in Pittsburgh. Um, I was lived in Japan before I moved here. Um, my ex was in the military, so I was a dependent. And there was an open mic night on the base, and I ended up being the only one that signed up. And this is like 2014, so I got like 15 minutes. Oh. Yeah. So for me, whenever I'm the funniest that I've ever been, I can't remember shit like afterwards. Just, um, but it went really, really well to the point where Women's History Month they would have me like they had me as a speaker because also as a veteran, and they held okay, it in the that chapel. Nice. So they kept reminding me that I couldn't swear 
in the chapel. Uh, yeah, um, speak freely here. <laughs> you know. So, um, now we're going to be talking about the bombing of the USS Cole today. Um, from from what you told me, it was orchestrated by Yemen. I, the the Yemen government was definitely involved. There was a lot of um, oversight by the Clinton administration that was just. There's just a lot of iffy things about it. And knowing what I know about the Navy and what goes into play before you any ship enters any port, the Yemeni government they. There were there were people that were involved. Like I have a lot of terms. Like the military loves acronyms, and there's certain again. Like I have a list of what I wanted to go over and kind of explain what a damage controlman is. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you get uh, started here. But just before that, I went over uh, some very basic bones uh, details just to keep myself somewhat alert of what we're going to be talking okay. about and uh, listeners. The bombing was reportedly a suicide attack by uh, Al-Qaeda. Yes. The USS Cole was a guided missile destroyer. Uh, this happened on October 12th, 2000, so not that long ago. No. Uh, it was in Yemen's Arden Harbor. Aden. Aden. Mm -hmm. mm, the pronunciation <laughs> gets me. 17 killed, 39 were injured. It was supposed to be a routine fuel stop, and in 2007... A judge ruled the Sudanese government responsible. Yes. Um, and also, before I go further, thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. Um, jump right into it. All right. So, to, like, so a damage controlman, they they pretty much do a lot of things. So the creation, pretty much, of like damage control, was um, the disaster on the uh, the USS Forrestal, and that was when um, actually. The, there was a ordinance that was dropped and it exploded. And so they realized that the firefighting aspect of it was really lacking the training within the first two explosions. Okay. Anybody that knew how to fight a fire was killed. Oh, so that's unfortunate. Um, in fact, they still like you can YouTube the video. They actually like I don't know if now, but they would show us that video in boot camp and in school because of the, the lessons learned and the things that we learned. So damage control, or the, they're the firefighters. Um, I wrote everything down. First responders. First responders. Um, uh, first so if a Navy ship is attacked, they're the first guys that are coming out. Assess the situation, trying things, get, un yeah. get under control. Everybody has to know how to fight a fire on a okay. ship because there's nowhere to go. So Now, is that everybody in the Navy on the ship or everybody oh, on ev the yeah, ship? Everybody actually has to know the basics of firefighting. Okay. Like my ex-husband uh, was military police. He was canine handler. So he never, never... Um, went aboard a ship unless he was a drug a drug handler looking for drugs. But he, he basic requirements for you to advance, you have to know the damn like the the fire like the basic firefighting. I'm probably procedures. oversimplifying this quite a bit, but I feel like without any training, I kind of know the basics of firefighting. Like yeah, it's a pretty big fire over there. Yep, We're going to take this water source and just start putting it on there. Well, it also depends on the different classifiers. Um, so, again, one of the issues with the USS Forrestal is that there um, – so there's this agent that they call use. It's AFFF, aqueous film-forming foam. So what it does is it provides – like it puts a blanket over the fuel, which prevents the vapors from mixing and like, – from rising and mixing with the heat. Okay. And creating like the uninhibited chemical chain reaction that could come into a fire. 
Um, and it's also because of the water, it's a cooling agent. So it combats the fire on two different aspects. Because okay. if you want to eliminate a fire, you want to take one of the things out of the equation. So it's like a peppermint patty. Exactly. Okay. So there, there's the different classifications of fires, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, and Delta. So Alpha fires are anything that's going to leave an ember or an ash. So paper, people, wood. Bravo fires are going to be like your fuel, your excel, your accelerants. Charlie fires are electrical fires. Um, usually, uh, this is me because I'm a perfectionist and training was my bread and butter. Delta fires, they would tell you, oh, it's going to be aircraft and stuff and you jettison. Actually, the technical definition of a de- class Delta fire is anything that requires special procedures in order to extinguish it. And usually when it comes to aircraft, you are going to jettison gen- uh, jettison it overboard gonna be honest (laughs) saying a lot of stuff i don't know but you sound like you know how you're saying it so we're gonna keep moving on it's easy for like um like i said i did a lot of training i actually um created curriculum that specifically was for like the basic implementing of the basic firefighting procedures the last command i was at so i trained over 1400 personnel i like i wrote tests i broke it down like keep it simple stupid okay. so that's what i'm trying to do here that's why like i tried to like write down so acronyms. what what years were you serving from what year to what year uh, i served from 1997 to 2007 okay so where were you uh during what, what did i say october october 2000 where were you so i was um on board the uss lasalle which was home ported in gaeta italy okay. and so like I, I told you previously in an ironic twist of fate the uss lasalle which um so the different classifications of ship it had originally been what we call an lpd um which meant it was one of those ones like the stern gate would come down and uh, would like drop off the uh, drive off marines because you know the navy is the marines uber marine stands for my ass rides and navy equipment um i heard uh <laughs> i've heard tell about yeah. navy and marine men so um but it was converted to a command ship so what it meant is like a and it was an admiral, sh- like the admiral's command ship. Like it did a lot of secrets, it, depending on where it was, dependent on its mission. So when the USS Stark was attacked in the 80s, it was actually in the Persian Gulf and Iraq actually fired missiles at it. The okay. LaSalle was the command ship for Fifth Fleet, which is the area of responsibility where the coal was at the time. Um, and then it became six fleets command ship so it was just an ironic twist of fate so i was home ported in gaeta italy i actually remember um coming into work like the the next day the time difference is kind of iffy and security measures were like we weren't used to especially being in our home port the things that were going on like there were extra guards at the gate so obviously it was a terrorist attack oh yeah and you said you were in italy um so you were quite a ways away what was it like from the perspective of someone currently serving that is uh, there is a terrorist attack happening? from now? And what what oh, was it like? Time. Yes, what was it like at the time? How it, how were not only procedurally and things you were going through? How did you feel as an individual? As an individual, it was scary. One of the reasons it did affect us is because we were forward deployed and we were overseas. Mm-hmm. So we weren't – and granted, it was Italy, but there was still – you know, if you think about it, like, it was so new then. Like, we, we there were the attacks in Beirut and, you know, in um, Colbar or whatever, the in the 80s and in, the, in 1996. But those were, like, unsure commands. Like, and then the Oklahoma City bombing, yes. obviously the Twin Towers in, um, in, two, in 1993. So it ch- it changed 
everything. Like things were changed then and then after 9-11, like things were just not the same. Like there was a lot of differences. So Understandably. Oh, yeah. Um, Procedures that, you know, lessons learned after so much can can, uh, change with what we call, um, you know, threat con, threat conditions. Things just going into your own home port that like pulling back in. The week before the attack... What did you do on a routine day? On a routine day in port or at sea? We'll say in port. Because so you were in port. In port, Okay. Yes. So day to day, a lot of times we'd fucking goof off. But it depended on if you were getting ready to get underway or if you were going to be in port for a while. So if you were getting ready, like there's a lot. Like you run drills. Like we, you'd run fire drills, obviously, because they have to be ready. That was done every day. Um, battle stations are general quarter drills. You would run those. And then for for my job, um, there were daily checks, weekly checks, and monthly checks that we did for all of the firefighting equipment. And then your fixed firefighting systems, there were checks that you would do. So you do that throughout your day. Um, so you test to make sure, like, the AFFF, like, tanks, like, if there was any valves that needed to be replaced. So you were just essentially on call but doing maintenance exactly. at the so same time, a, preventative maintenance. Yeah, attend a, 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 a typical working day in port, but as an engineer, it usually could differ. But you'd usually, you'd, um, 0, 600 or 6 a.m. Would you or say 7. you had a decent amount of downtime? Mm. It depended. Like I said, being an engineering department and that first ship was a steam-powered ship. Okay. So you, it would come and go. So well, the, during the, the... The atmosphere, you know, pre-attack, pre, uh, how was it? Was it a jovial time? Was it, it yeah, we yeah, have to do this, but we can be, like, relax? Force protect... Like, again, I remember doing drill. Like, we never expected to, like, to be in a, a port or at pier side to be attacked. Like, at sea, you know, you thought you were more vulnerable. Like, there could be attacks that way. And we also assumed that the... Um, facilities in port, like you, your support activities, like those would be more of a target. I remember when we would train for any terrorist acts, we'd always assume that they would try to get on board the ship. Like we didn't think that it, that it would happen the way it did. My, my uh, the, the, What I was getting to is the week after. Oh, the, how did your job the change? The week after. Yeah, what was, so, what was different? Because you know, a moment. So, can change everything exactly so like there was there was more training obviously we wanted to like on threat condition like your threat level threat condition levels and then like for my job specifically it was still the same it, when it came to like um what we did to keep the watertight integrity like there's like if it did happen like okay so this is pretty hard to describe so the contingencies in place yeah, is that what you're referring to, to? Contingencies, contingencies. Sorry. So there's certain compartmentation. Um, like I don't know if you like when you watch movies about the navy or about ships. You know they have the the metal door with the lip, mm-hmm. and like you can see like what we call them dogs. So those doors are watertight and airtight. Mm-hmm. So you obviously the more. Um, God, like you had certain like when we were in port even in home port there uh it, we, we called it yoke or zebra like that meant more spaces like 
a lot of times like you'd have certain hatches that would be up all the time just because of accessibility well after that there were fewer of them open like you were required there were inspections to make sure that so more by the book more by the book or i'm gonna go off on a limb and say people who have served will understand and appreciate the lingo so much more. That's so true. I mean, even though there's the differences in the branches, there's certain things that you automatically know. Um, this is kind of off topic, but it's the one of the most realistic scenes about what it's like to be in any branch of the military, the Dirty Dozen. I've never seen that movie. Oh, my gosh. So there's a scene where they're... Uh, they need Donald Sutherland to pretend to be a general because they heard that a, some general was coming to the base. So they want them to inspect like their entire, what would they call it, like a unit or whatever. This is me pretending I know who Donald <laughs> Sutherland is. We'll oh, keep, keep going. God. Okay. So um, they want him to pretend to be. And he, like, <sighs> so what you don't realize is that whole company that's been standing there and they're in their dress uniform and they're standing there they've been there probably since 5 a.m in the morning because the lower rank you are the the earlier you have to be somewhere in their dress uniform so you're in parade rest until like somebody of high rank comes by and they're always late like an hour and like somebody will come and all of a sudden like oh it's them and you're at attention but it's not them but what pisses you off more is that this general, this person or admiral who's like super like their rank is unbelievable. They look like a fucking soup sandwich. Their hair is out of rags. Their fucking uniform is like never correct. They're like wearing white socks with their shoes and you don't ever do that. How dare they? Exactly. But they're coming through and they're making sure that everything you have is perfect. I know from a Navy standpoint, you're having inspections every day leading up to that to make sure everything is squared away. Uh, and contra for, controversial opinion here. And it's like five minutes. They walk through, they ask you stupid questions and then they're done uh, and so that like that right there resonates like all branches of the service like that right there that sounds like a big pet peeve oh it is i'm, I'm <laughs> glad you got that out it seemed like you need to get that off your I chest do. I this is the stance i'm gonna go with my favorite movie with uh involving people of the armed service operation dumbo drop i re vaguely remember that is that with robert downey jr i don't think so i no? think it's with danny glover <laughs> And uh, I'm thinking of the wrong Dennis movie. Leary. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about doing something with an elephant that they shouldn't be they doing. They shouldn't be doing. They shouldn't be doing. And who amongst us doesn't have a story that we've done something with an elephant we shouldn't be doing? Well, that's, that's, enough, that's enough about ex-girlfriends. We're going to keep said. it going. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, when it comes to damage control, the movie Down Periscope. Um, and it's brief. There's, like when they're... Uh, uh, whatever it is, it's leaky. They're, they have it's le the water is coming on board, and they need to prevent the leak. So they have the, what they use is it's called a jubilee patch. Um, so that's pretty accurate. However, it's ne it's never going to stop the water completely. I think it's going to make it maybe sixty percent, forty percent. It's going to slow it down. So yeah, so it's a temporary thing, obviously, until you can get somewhere to repair it. But that actually, that like that's one thing. It's like, oh hey, that that right there is something that we would use because it's not just firefighting that we do. It's anything like when you um obviously something ruptures the hole, like the sixty by forty foot hole that was blown into the side of the coal um it, when it comes to like ruptures and stuff like we say you either put something in or put something over it to to, to plug it up and because i did this so long i can still tell you the type of wood <laughs> sorry <laughs> that they would use because of how it would expand and everything so it's douglas fir yellow pine 
Um, but like I said, everybody has to know how to do that. And because the Coles crew was so well-trained, that's really why it's still in the fleet. That I really, if it would have had a fire on top of that, I really believe it, it would have sunk. It would not be in the fleet still So, So day. the damage they took and the casuals, casualties they took that day were far lower than they could have been? No, the fact that it was, that the ship is still saved. Like there's this thing, it's called the Ten Commandments of Damage Control. And the first one is never give up the ship. Never. Okay. And what they did. That was my high school motto. Don't give up the ship. <laughs> Don't give up the ship. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that, that's, that's really goes tantamount to their, their training and the people that were there. Coincidentally, that's why I don't drink. Uh, I get drunk and get loose and I just give up the ship every time. <laughs> loose, like, li- loose lips sink ships. It, absolutely. Yep. Um, <laughs> so tell me about, you said it was oversights there was by, the, by the Yemen uh, government? By the uh, the Clinton administration. There okay. was a lot of things that... Let's get um, into this. Yeah. So technically, I'm going to give some history. Going back, the the, t- the tax leading up to that, that they should have paid attention to, was the the tax in Beirut in Kobar. The one was the marine barracks, and the other, um, oh, it was, it, again, it was buildings, and it was, was truck bombs leading up to, like, that was similar to the, the, the bomb that was used in uh, from, the little from ship. From what I understand, it was, what was it, like a new that came up with explosives um, it was or like something? they called a little skiff okay um, yeah and so uh, there's a lot like again the uh, people are always asking you know why why did they let it get that close what was going on so there's a couple of like i said there's certain things that go on when a ship anytime a vessel enters a port that you're actually going to request beforehand um which again the the uh, the yemeni government government and the fueling company was like a private-owned company. But to know how they could get close to us, you know, to a ship, that's that's where it comes into play. Because there's, again, like I said, there's, there's this thing called OPSEC, operational security. And like as somebody in the military, it's like ship's movement, where we're going to go, where we're going to be, how long we're going to be there. Um, my stepdad called me the daughter of darkness for a long time because I was always calling in the middle of the night because of the time difference. Like, I can't tell you where I am. I have no idea what time it is, but I'm okay. I can't tell you how long I'm going to be here until afterwards. Because of that, you don't want the, because, again, of threats. So that's something that it's a big deal. Off topic question. Yes. Um, have you ever had a run in with any pirates? The, the juvenile kid in me is going to be like, only like butt pirates, but no. <laughs> okay. No, no pirates? Never, no. No. That's unfortunate. Um, <laughs> but in the same hand, when I still think of pirates, I still think of them with like long sabers and things of that nature, peg I, legs. I don't think of the pirates now that got like... I think of Veggie Tales, the pirates that don't do anything. Stomach worms and ak forty seven. And that's actually one thing that the, I was... The guys that I worked with, um, as a female engineer, there was very few of us, but we would be like our um, supervisor would ask these questions. It was like, oh, what's this? I'm, who did this? I'm like, oh, you're, you're peg-legged sister. Like that was just <laughs> – okay. I still say that to people when they ask something. I'm like, oh, you're peg-legged sister. <laughs> I, I will say people that, that have served, um, it's obviously a bond, you know, like, oh, yeah. like a brotherhood. And from an outsider's perspective, like – not serving. I have friends, plenty of friends that have served, and you guys are just weird in a different way. Yeah. 
<laughs> like, remember that time I shoved my orange up my ass? Like, what? How was that a good time? I actually, um, we were bored. We were, we'd been underway for a while, and a guy I worked with, his nickname was Pig. Supposedly he was fat as a kid, but whatever. So he had stuffed pigs on his, what we call rack, on his bed. He had and stuffed pigs? Stuffed pigs. Like like plush? It's like plush pigs. Okay. So um, I make it, as a, again, as a female engineer, my roving watch, like, uh, you check the ACs, you check the reefers, you check to make things. I, I always check the reefers. I know. <laughs> um, most in the hot water heaters, the majority of my roving watch was in male living areas. Okay. And so as a female, like when you go into a male living area, you have to go, oh, female on deck. So I was very innocent when I joined the Navy. Like I didn't have my first date or kiss till I was 18. I was 21 when I had my first boyfriend. So I was very, I was scarred. So his rack, what we did is um, we kidnapped his stuffed pigs, and then I wrote him a ransom letter in lipstick. I still remember it. Um, it was, dear pig, if you want to see your beloved pigs, leave $100 million at the designated spot. Any involvement with the military police. And this is your it. 18, 19? 19. We will forgive you for that <laughs> terrible joke. So... <laughs> So then, and remember, like, th there was no digital cameras at that type of thing. So Back in my day. I know, man, my day. Um, we hi I hid these pigs in different areas, like, in compromising positions, took pictures, and then developed them and would give them to me. It's like a, a scavenger. For, for you kids listening, <laughs> uh, there used to be photos that would have roll you have to that you would have to it. take to the store and get it developed. Now, sometimes when I was younger, it took a few days, but then we got real fancy when they had one-hour photos. Photo, yep. Just a quick history lesson. <laughs> We're keeping the kids involved. So that's America's tax dollars at work. Like, you know, And to be an effective firefighter most are pyros we would go through our flammable liquid locker and be like hmm, how flammable is this and we would set shit on fire i am gonna be completely honest i don't know how the fuck we got here neither and, do i and where we're at <laughs> okay let's try and wrangle it back <laughs> back in Bring uh, it back the in. clinton administration fucked up yes so there were um, so they were there getting gas that we were there refueling there it's a 7-eleven of countries exactly and the thing is i did not mean that <laughs> In a derogatory way. But it's funny. Um, so, like you know, ships refuel at sea all the time type of thing. And so there were other places that they could have refueled at. And but prior to 1998, um, Djibouti in the, on the Horn of Africa, I know, was where, we would, was where the, the Navy would refuel. But because of what was going on in Somalia and everything, um, they, they kind of thought that that would be more dangerous, despite you Yemen. You don't want to go down and mess with problems with Djibouti. No, you don't. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, there was a rash in Djibouti because uh, I wear jeans all the time. And I work in a very hot environment, so Djibouti was sore for a few days. Djibouti ass, swamp yeah. ass. Apparently, I uh, just needed to air it out. That's you know, all. quick fix. Gotta let it breathe. My mom screams, you gotta put Vaseline on it, honey. It'll heal it up in two days. And my mom, I'd prefer not to put Vaseline down there. No. Mm -mm. We now, have now, now do you see what happens when I get off topic? We had a saying, it was called Bohica, bend over here, it comes again, and you, there was no lube, so... <laughs> um, s despite the fact that they're the they had been warned that Yemen was a hotbed for a terrorist activity at the time, that they they still they were hoping to um, you know what where, improve where relations. exactly is Yemen located in in relation? I'm not really sure. It's somewhere. Okay. Um, I know. Uh, 
like a like again i'm i'm not really sure because we don't we did by the time that time we didn't go there anymore i know it's somewhere in that area just not sure where um it looks to be uh near the gulf of aden where i just said and the map i looked up only showed me the country yeah oh it's it's on the southern tip of saudi arabia just to the right of uh ethiopia and Djibouti, which, fun fact, that's spelled with a D first. Yes, it is. And the capital of Djibouti is Djibouti. Djibouti, Djibouti. Djibouti, Djibouti. That's, that's <laughs> fascinating. So. Uh, my buddy, uh, and I know he listens to this, we're going to shout out to Eli. Uh, just his team, his favorite team, is the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh. So just shout out to him, uh, Djibouti, Djibouti. You're not Djibouti, alone, Djibouti. Brother. No. So they were trying to. Um, they they were warned about going there because it was a hotbed of potential yes, terrorist activity. Terrorist activity. Now, where do they get this information from? Do they know it was going to be from Al Qaeda specifically, or did they just know it was potentially dangerous? It was there? potentially dangerous. I believe there was other like terrorist groups there, like not necessarily just Al Qaeda. Um, one of the oversights is that there was the lack of human and like human intelligence, and there was a lot of chatter that people like chatter that people weren't listening to. There was actually prior to the call, there was um and it, there was attack that they tried on the USS Sullivan's that was their refueling that was unsuccessful. It was so overloaded with explosives that it sunk. That's what I, and, I've I've heard. Yeah, that. and so they we didn't know about it. I Which think, till after. is a hilariously cartoonish failure for a terrorist exactly you load up we'll just say for comedic effect there was a canoe you load it with too much explosives you're thinking it's going to be a great day you're going to death to americans you send it out and it floats it's kind of like the equivalent of uh, premature ejaculation all right we'll go with that yeah. we'll go with that i think it's going to be a great day well, it you was still a great. It was still a great day. It was a great day. You know, that's the thing for people one don't, person. People don't don't realize <laughs> that about premature ejaculation. Look, it's still a good day. One of us came already. You got look. I figured it out for myself. You can do the same for you. I still had fun. If you want to be uh, disappointed again in the future, you know my number. <laughs> that's exactly what Al Qaeda thought. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Because they were they recovered it. I, I want to say used. the mis- the 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 times they dis- didn't disappoint outweighed their failures. True. You know, because yeah. we have gotten some foul effects from their handiwork. Yes, we have. It. And like, like I said, there's things things you can look back to, to now, but there was a lot of again, it's similar with nine eleven agencies not communicating with each other as well you know what i listen to a lot of podcasts other podcasts tr- true crime and that's been a problem throughout the history of this country uh was just general agencies not communicating with each other you know back in the 20s you rob a bank in this state boom pop over the line i'm safe in the next state it's like they ted just, bundy yeah they yeah they just didn't communicate with each other Yep. You'll have profiles, you'll have suspect lists, nothing. Nothing. People go free, they murder more people. Sorry, I'm getting off nope. on a rant. So, yeah, there, like, there was that oversight as well, and it's just, in fact, the, one of the things I looked at, the see it, like, up to, t- I think it was the, um, I 
was something I specifically wrote uh, that happened. Like it was actually a couple days the, with it before the attack, a couple of weeks, because there's actually somebody, a couple people who had um, the CIA and NSA had warned against attacks for U.S. interests in that area, specifically focused in Yemen um, for terrorist activity. Um, and the coal was still going anyway. So why, up to a why, couple did, of weeks. why did they decide to go there if they were warned about it? So, again, I believe it was the Clinton administration. And whose order was it to go there? It goes, like, so it it goes all the way up to, what is the... is the, there a the captain command. of the ship? Um, the command the, it goes above the commanding officer. Okay. Like you have, you have your battle group, you have your fleet. Like you have the areas of responsibility. So there's not a man on ship saying, "Okay, I'm going to make the call that we're going to go here." It no, came, it came from up, up from top. above. Yeah. Okay. So and that was one of the things too is like as things were discovered, a lot of the blame, like instead of like things look, being looked at from like higher up, they tried to shift the focus on the commanding officer and the crew and the things that they didn't do properly. However, with the information they had, what they did was actually exactly what they were supposed to do. Previous to this attack, when it came to their threat cons, now remember, we didn't know what we knew now. We were training in a different way. They were an exemplary, like they were actually at the top when it came to like prepare, like practicing for the certain threat levels and if there was a certain attacks. So after the attack... What did we do as far as, I hate to say revenge, but as a country, oh, we did nothing. The Clinton administration actually promised to, but they never did. And in fact, in a hearing on the nine, about 9-11, President Clinton himself said that there was no evidence that al-Qaeda was to blame, despite the fact that within, like, Osama bin Laden was, he was actually claiming that that was that he did it did he put out a video for this yeah like there was um there was a 90 minute video of them saying praise Allah for the attack like they used it as a recruitment video there was a wedding a couple days later and he wrote a poem about the attack on the USS oh yeah like he could not shut up about it who was getting married that's inviting Osama I was probably, well, come on now. I was probably one of his many siblings. Doesn't he have like 52 of them or something? And I could be wrong. I thought the number was 47. Yeah, I think I'm off. I'm over, over, overcompensating. So what did, so we didn't do anything uh, to get them to stop at least. Could that have been part of what led to 9-11? 9-11 was going to happen anyway. I think it just happened. Like it, they call the coal the precursor to 9-11. And okay. I think the fact that they were be able to be so successful and they saw those weaknesses, that, they, that, that it happened when it did. It was going to happen. Maybe it wouldn't have happened when it did. But that definitely gave them... You know, like the balls to do it. In fact, one of the things that they talk about is they didn't, um, after the Sullivans, like I said, they didn't, like they heard some chatter. They didn't follow up on it. They didn't, there was nobody there like beforehand scouting to see if there was anything going on. Um, You know, because they're obviously, we know that they do dry runs. However, one of the things they did do, it was instead of being pier side because of safety issues, they had it like next to what they called a dolphin. And it was like an area like where they could actually refuel, but it wasn't at the pier. And that's another thing too. Um, Usually like when you're, in a port, it, it's it's more secure. Like people are supposed to be checked. Who comes in? Like who goes out? 
you know, you're not allowed to carry weapons certain places okay. because of that. And so, again, there are certain things that a ship needs and does before it pulls into port. It's what you call sea and anchor detail. There's things that they do up, you know, you have your lookouts to make sure nothing's coming towards you. Like, that's the deck department. You Like, you have the officer of the watch manning, you know, like certain high-ranking people have to be on the bridge. Down in the engine room, you're checking your rudders. You're doing all these things. You hold, you within three miles of a shore, you, um, you can't pump any of your sanitation overboard. You're holding it on station. Within 12 miles of a shore, you hold all your, your trash. So that affects your list and your balance. So, so this was obviously an attack that shook the country. Well, no, it didn't shake it like it should have. In fact, because we were going up for re-election and Gore, they were trying to get Gore elected and Clinton was so adamant about having his, like, he was so effective on bringing the peace, you know, stabilizing things in the Middle East. They, they actually didn't report about it because they were afraid, uh, basically with 9-11, that people would folk, it could just bring about that it could happen again and you didn't want to over Yeah, because I'm going to be honest, uh, before you had brought this up to me, I've never heard of it. They call it the forgotten attack i've never heard of it now it also um because here i like to focus on the story but i also like to focus on the person and i'd like to ask you uh where were you stationed and what was the general response when 9-11 happened i was actually on the uss emerius land which uh, is a repair ship. So there used to be like it was. It's called a sub tender. They, they, they back and they went back in the day. They would usually only fix submarines. You had battle tenders, destroyer tenders, um, but there's only two repair ships left in the Navy. Okay. Um, so I, we were actually we were in Gaeta to do repairs on the USS LaSalle, which was my first ship. We had just pulled in to port because um, the time difference is six hours. Where is Gaeta? Gaeta, Italy is in Italy. between okay. Rome and Naples. Yeah. Gorgeous area. So we had just pulled like we had just pulled in and we'd actually because we were repairing them, we were giving like we were hooked up our power to them so we could do certain things. And it was like I want to say it's like six hours ahead. So it was like almost four o'clock. And all of a sudden we had to go and what we call muster. You had to meet in your work areas. And we had site TV where the CEO and everybody could talk to us. And they're like, you know, that was like the first plane had just hit. And then um, as he was talking. The second plane hit. So we, like I said, it took, it, it could take like an hour or two, sometimes longer to like set up, to get set up. Both ships were underway within 45 minutes. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. And so then we, nobody knew what was going on. We were actually at sea because, uh, you, you know, you have the different threat conditions. You have like Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, mm-hmm. Delta. And Delta, like if you're at home where everything shot, shut down, like you're not supposed to leave. And at ships, like you just, you stay at sea because you don't know what's safe so what did you guys do from there you just went out to sea we went out to sea we trained we tried to like obviously know like the i remember i could only email my one cousin because his was the only email i could remember and again at certain times like the second ship i was on and this is pre-9-11 we were in in the gulf because we were doing a western pacific cruise and um, this is what this is when um, Clinton, like we had the embassy bombings in Tanzania and Kenya, and he just haphazardly shot missiles into the Middle East. And we were in the Gulf and did not know that that's what was going on. All of a sudden, um, 
the Air Force's network TV, like there were the the ship was only showing one movie on repeat, and it was okay. almost famous. No emails were coming in. None could go out. Like again, like all um, information. In fact, one of the guys I worked with, his dad had written him a letter and was talking about it. And we're like, we're in the Gulf, and we didn't even know that's what was going on. Right on. Well, so, with the compartmentalization. Exactly. You know, you're not going to know everything. So um, so it's stuff like that. Like, you're doing, you're, you're trying to learn, figure out where you're going to go. Obviously, the intel's going, you know, we're trying to figure out our mission. Because even if a ship is attacked, in certain, like, it depends on, like, you still have your mission. So where did you, you guys go do. from there? Um, we... We just we stayed at we stayed um, at sea, and then we went back to Gaeta okay. to like help you know whatever with the um, with the the LaSalle and do what we needed to do. Um, but again, so Cinderella Liberty means everybody has to be back at midnight. Okay. So pre nine eleven, I mean yeah, pre nine eleven, um, to have overnight liberty anywhere, all you had to do was make E four. But after nine eleven, that changed in foreign ports. Like I don't even know if they. Even now, people have overnight liberty. And so, okay. obviously, I've been out for a while, so I'm not sure. Um, but then, obviously, the congregating like of large groups. Um, you know, there was a lot of things like people don't realize that at certain times, especially after we the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan, there were they found cells in other air, like in in Europe. I remember you, there was when you say cells, terrorist cells. Terrorist cells. There was one cell that, that they discovered. They had blueprints of all of like the naval installations in Europe. Oh. So, you know, again that's something we knew. And then the 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 ship the ships are like especially the first ship, it's an admiral ship. There was so much stuff that we took for for granted that was actually really like we shouldn't have known because of how secret it was. Oh, okay. But we knew because it was the the flagship of that battle group. I wouldn't uh, be able to forgive myself if I didn't ask this. Um, the Navy has a very long history with seeing UFOs at sea. Uh, I again. Have you seen any? Being an engineer, I didn't really make it topside very okay. often. Um, I can say other like I didn't see any of that. Um, UFOs. I mean, growing up in Wyoming, like the clear skies, there was some weird uh, shit. Obviously, the most famous uh, Navy man I can think of is uh, William Cooper, uh, Behold a Pale Horse. Yes. Guy wrote uh, about seeing UFOs in the Navy. That's rather disappointing. I mean, you, you <laughs> have your own experience, obviously. I would have been so happy if you'd have been like, oh, yeah, we used to see UFOs all the time. Uh, a lot of, lot of haunted shit and, go and ghosts on ships, but I never, I did not see a UFO while I was in the Navy. You cannot skip over that last part. Can <laughs> you repeat that again for me? Um, definitely haunted like places especially the older ships like my first ship the uss LaSalle. like i said it was on scene when this it was the sh one of the first ships on scene when the uss stark was hit and they did carry dead bodies back you know so did you witness any paranormal activity then when you say it was haunted is it haunted because people said it was haunted no or is it because you saw something i saw and felt like and there's a lot of feelings and stuff like there were certain spaces that i didn't realize till later nobody liked going in so there was one area, it was Shaft Alley, and obviously the shaft of the ship goes through it. So you have starboard, which is the right, port is left. And so in starboard Shaft Alley, um, which we went all the way down to like the seventh, eighth deck, like the bowels of the ship, the JP5 pump room was there. And so we we had a, a he, like the Admiral's Hilo, so that's where the field would was come. So the JP5 pump room is an individually dog door, and it's got a padlock on it. There are two people that have the key to that space. I am one of them as the roving watch. And then the um, supervisor for 
the what we the um the fuelies. Do you need both them. keys to enter? No. Just one. Just one. So there's like certain watches, like the balls to four watches, midnight to four. So it's like two in the morning. I have to go in that space. And you have to make sure that it's locked. And there's all this other stupid shit they make you do. So I'm down there. And like you, there was always a weird feeling down there anyway. Somebody had died there. They suffocated type of thing. Like way before I was there. Like there were signs everywhere about not closing the, hey, the hatches. keep breathing. Okay. So I'm down there. I'm the only one down there. There's two people who have a key. That door, the dogs start popping up, and there's a pounding from the other side. And and no one's down. No one's there. there. I never went down in that space again. I told people I don't go down there. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Freaked out enough to Freaked not out. further investigate. Exactly. Okay, yeah, you got it. You know what? This is our bread and butter here. You got any more paranormal experiences? I do. Because the thing is, once you have one. It almost seems like it's not exclusive anymore. No, my You're ex, open. my ex used to tell me that not every pa- place we lived was haunted. But you feel but otherwise. You, like other, like, there, like certain, like weird shit happens. Okay. So again, the USS LaSalle. Um, like I said, the watch standing, you'd have to check the reefers, and so the reefers were on the seventh deck. And what I would do is I'd go all the way down, check the equipment, and make my way up, and then check the temperatures on the chill boxes and the free and the the freezers. So there was again weird stuff would happen, and I like I heard whistling, and the guys like, oh, it's the equipment. I'm like, there's a difference between equipment and whistling a fucking tune. Okay. So the dry store good for like the the sh- the cooks was also down there, and even in port, you'd go down there sometimes, and sh- it would like. We were on like we had been at sea and we and like shit was everywhere. So I'm it's again it's the balls to four watch and I'm making my way up and I have the door like latched open and I'm checking the the temps on the chill box. Again, there's one way down, one way up. Anybody who went down there or was there would have to go past me. Mm-hmm. The hinge flips up, the door shuts, and it starts to like dog down now we call them knee knockers again when you go over them because of the watertight integrity and when you're short like i am they really are knee knockers i ran out of there i tripped hit my head off the floor and ran all the way up and i sat there and it was the engineering male living area and i just and the one of the guys was like perv because everybody called me perv what's up and i'm like he's, i didn't have to say anything he's like yeah i know what you, I, I know because That's we funny. all that's fascinating. Yeah. Have you had any experiences outside of the Navy? Yes. What give me give me your 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 craziest one. So I, I wasn't in the, the Navy, but it was in Japan and the we would go camping at a place called Ikego. And Japan is actually one of the most haunted places in the world. And so Ikego had been um basically a concentration camp that the Japanese okay. had. And so there were all these tunnels that were dug by the prisoners. So my, we, you know, my ex and my daughter, we liked to camp and we were in this cabin three and the bathroom was pretty far away and I'm from, I'm country. So I would just go outside and then behind the cabin and I'd go to the bathroom. Fair enough. So I go out to go to the bathroom and it looks like there's these two little girls like with the like really short hair standing and they're naked and they're like this like with their hands over them and they're standing to the side in the middle of the woods in the middle of the woods and they go like this and all of a sudden the man runs out so i go into i run into the cabin I this lock. is while you're pissing you see this yes so i go there's like two there's a front area that you could lock and then the, there was a room in the back where with the the bunks that were my daughter slept and my ex and i slept and i go and like he somehow makes it into the front room and i'm in the other room where we're at now is he following you He's or following, chasing you? chasing me and my ex what did he do to these two little girls just well, ran past like I, I, I don't know. Like, it, it looked like they had, 
so I'll get to that. Like, okay. like something had happened. Like, so obviously. You're, so you're inside. So I, I'm in the room where we're sleeping, and the, guy, the door opens, and my ex doesn't wake up, and I'm pissed, and I wake up, and I'm mad at him, and I go outside to go to the bathroom. The whole night, like, I, it was so real. It, it, it was just a loop the whole or it was like a time night. loop where you kept experiencing the it. same yeah, thing exactly that is that is incredible um that's wild because i've heard things about that before with loops and things happening over and over but it's hard to explain yeah and, you know it's one of those things you can't prove but if you say you experienced it who am i to tell you no you didn't exactly well, that sounds horrifying. And the the USS Cole is haunted. Like uh, the last ship I was on, it came in to prepare because it's still in the fleet. Okay, like it was repaired and like talking to people. Like alarms will go off middle of the night, like stuff that that isn't supposed to go off and supposed to happen. And you know, obviously, with that type of what happened. Um, well, would you say we learned anything uh, valuable <laughs> from the bombing of the USS Cole? Yeah, we did. Like. T- um, uh, obviously to think outside the box again okay. like i said that was that we never thought that uh, that the we would a ship would be attacked in that way it never crossed our like really crossed our the minds learning tunes bugs bunny exactly and again what's up doc <laughs> the, like i said like a lot of like i said a lot of shift wanted to be put on the commanding officer and the crew because that boat got so close they thought it was somebody to take the trash. Like I said, you have these little, like there are little boats that'll pull up and like you, you dump your trash on them, right? That's one thing you need. You also need, be it a boat or a tank that you pump your sanitation off. Because okay. again, like I said, it's holding on station. And if your ship is old, the longer it holds in the station, it's going to back up into the showers. Right like, on. It's disgusting. So you were pump, you pump that off, off the ship. And then what we call potable water. Potable water is your drinking water and your, like your fresh water. I don't know why and the so, only thing I can think of is potent potables. Exactly. So, you know, obviously we make potable water from the sea water so when you're pulled this part of the sea and anchor detail is you know you shut that off so you replenish while you're important like on top of refueling all of this is going on so that little skiff coming close you know obviously you that's pretty much what they thought it was something simple exactly like that. and so after that again there whenever a ship pulls into any port and we don't refuel in Yemen obviously more most we try to do it at sea but it can be really expensive so you wanted to have different areas where you could go because after the cold war and obviously after um, desert storm you know your deployments are longer you're being extended more ships are in the area so you're you know you have it comes down to numbers so even when you pull back into your home port there's there's NCIS there they actually like peep like the dog like um explosive dogs they actually go they check that because you have the pilots that help guide you um you have eod you have divers in the water checking everything because of that wasn't done beforehand before we pulled in because we thought like we 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 were going to be okay like the even though so much that we they, that the higher ups knew was not conveyed to ah. the commanding officer. They thought the precautions that they had in place was appropriate, and that's what they, like the whole joint they underestimated. commission. Like there, there's if you read the joint commission and like they're obviously well, would the commander like the commanding officer should have done this. He didn't do this. We're like, well, he was failed going all the way up to the secretary of defense, like because they you know they didn't take what they had heard seriously. In fact, there were a couple of. Um, uh, eight, like 
uh, Intel aides, like that they resigned because the blame was being shifted because people and that was because they didn't want to ruin their careers. And like I said, I feel like I've were, heard this before. They were trying to deflect everything onto the commanding officer and the crew. And like I said, the Clinton administration was very adamant about that. Like they really had a part because he he wanted his legacy. They wanted Gore to be, you know, to be elected and they tried to shift that. Like I said, it's it, you know, I don't want like I I try to go like moderate when it comes to politics, but there's so much that should have been done and could have been done that was overlooked and because there wasn't the you know, there wasn't any People weren't talking to each other. Lack of communication. Lack of communication, you know, and so much that was done wrong. Well, I tell you, go ahead. So, and again, you know, the Yemen government, like they were actually told, like, you need to cooperate with us. We need to have this done. In fact, they were warned that the government, they were either unwilling or unable to, uh, you know, um, go up against certain terror terrorist mm-hmm. groups and that was one of the questions and then in fact it wasn't until last year that the um the overall like the the mastermind behind the coal attack he was actually killed in a in a missile strike oh just last so, year just last year so he him and like 14 other prisoners were in a yemen prison and they escaped Coincidentally, the day before one of the trials was supposed to happen because of the USS Cole, which was postponed indefinitely. Now, now they escaped by a 150-yard tunnel underneath the prison that they dug and co-conspirators on the outside dug that somehow, you know, went went unnoticed. More undersight. Exactly. Oversight. Oversight. No sight. Whatever. They didn't see it. There was lack of, you know, lack of cooperation on their behalf as well. Like there was there was no like and there was no um, what's the word I'm searching for? Like they had no desire to even look no for the accounts for these escaped prisoners that were, you know, terror like terrorists. Well, this has been a fascinating tale um, that I'm sure we could discuss more in depth for hours but i want to thank you for coming in you're very welcome and i hope that people found it interesting and i you know where can where can people find you um i again the va hospital in pittsburgh university drive do you have social media handles you want to i do um so on facebook i'm nicole purvis stevenson um and then uh am i really on instagram um i'm S Nicole sixty six Nicole with an H, Twitter I can't even remember. I initially started my Twitter account so I could say evil fucking things about my ex mother in law without anybody finding out. In fact, ladies, uh, I give I give out her phone number to creepy dudes. Like, yeah. Well, I do not know that woman, uh, so I'm not going to co-sign. You can find me at Facebook.com/slash John. Or Facebook.com slash Inquisitive Minds. I'm also on Instagram at Pandasmith827 or Inquisitive Minds. Uh, and you can send us an email if you want to at Inquisitive Minds Podcast at gmail.com. That's spelled a little differently I N Q U I Z A T I B E. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'm Johnny Smith. I'll see you again next week. <laughs>